0: follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.
1: Never seen the sky so blue The birds are singing I got nothing to do Hey, hey Hey, hey Mm, It's a sunny day day My pocket's empty My cupboard's bare Call me illogical I just don't care Hey, hey hey, hey. It's just a sunny day Hey, Hey, hey It's a sunny day It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Medes on KSL News Radio.
2: Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Uh, number to call, phone lines are open 801 575 8255. You can also text us at 57500. Uh, We've been talking a lot in the news this week about these elk herds that have decided to just come down and spend some time with us here on the foothills. Ton, uh, I've never seen 60 elk in Walmart's parking lot
1: before. No, it's incredible, and it just goes to show how hungry they are, that they're coming down. And it's not unique to the Wasatch Front. I've heard that Cache County's been having problems with elk and deer coming down. Uh, Southern Utah County, it, they're all over the place just looking for something to eat.
2: Yeah, we've had a few uh, kind of uh, come into our neighborhood, and that raises the question of oh, how do we protect uh, some of our uh, more, I don't, I don't want to call them sensitive, but maybe they are more sensitive trees and plants from deer. Uh, what can we do really at this time of the year to prevent deer damage?
1: Well, it goes back to summer preparation you know, because sometimes the deer will feed in your yard during the summer and it can get worse during the winter because we will plant, especially landscape shrubs, you know, euonymus, uh, cherry laurels or like English laurels, photinias mm-hmm. that are evergreen that provide quite a bit of nutrition to the deer. And if you have those and live in a bench area and they're not protected, then the deer will take them right down To the nubs, and it's almost like you took your hedge trimmers out and just cut them to the ground sometimes. So, to truly protect your plants, the only sure way is to have an eight foot fence around your yard or around areas that you need to keep the deer out because eight feet is about the point that they're not comfortable jumping over a six foot fence they can hurdle that mm-hmm. eight feet they're cautious unless they're being chased by a cougar or something so a lot of people can't do that though
2: no they can't you know it's really funny that is exactly the plant they're eating in my yard and that is the euonymus uh, but luckily i didn't trim them back this year and they were kind of getting out of control so they've actually done a very very nice job pruning them for me
1: so the next step you know, if you want to save your Eonymous, you yeah, if is going to be. Yeah, there are a number of repellent products that are. Quite effective. You know, if the deer get really hungry, they may go through it. But you can go to garden centers. And as long as it doesn't rain or snow, a lot of these products will last for two to three weeks. Mm -hmm. And you just spray it on there and they'll have things in there. It may be a mix of coyote or bobcat urine that's supposed to scare them away with pretty much rotted liquefied egg, like clarified egg product. Is another ingredient you know how hot expensive sauce? Eggs are right now. People yes. are going to be probably their not eggs out a lot there. of those eggs going in <laughs> right now. But they'll use a combination of things, and as long as the plants are regularly sprayed, the deer tend to stay away because of the off flavor.
2: Oh, that's important though, because if they're having a really big problem right now, my, my problem's not severe. I just have a couple of deer, you know, that are munching on my euonymus. But if you have a severe problem, that that is a one solution.
1: It is. We have. My office is in Orem and right near the canyon, and the Central Utah Water Conservancy District has a resident deer population. And one of my colleagues, her office is at the bottom of a stepped slope. It's like Rockwalled Inn, and there's a couple of deer that have made it home. And as she's working in her office, the deer will watch her.
2: Oh, well. And
1: she'll look back at them. They look at her like, what you looking at? (laughs) And they're not scared. If you tap on the window, they just look at you. But the deer are acclimating to city areas and they're getting to the point that they're not that scared of humans, which is problematic because they may attack you because they're not afraid of you. Mm. So the other thing you can do is try to plant things that the deer don't like to eat. And these lists will vary from state to state according to what your deer are acclimated to. And you'll sometimes see plants on Colorado's list that deer they say deer love that here are on the resistant list. Wow. And so these lists are a little bit arbitrary and a little bit... Just anecdotal evidence and then just a little bit of what others have found. But they're a good start. And there are some plants that deer just won't touch. Daffodils are one of them. And that's yeah. the most common spring flower that they're the deer won't touch. Mm-hmm. So I've we were going to be posting a fact sheet that has these lists of um, plants that are not very palatable. To deer, And so uh, some of these are a little less common, but barberries and ash are some that they don't really like. Potentillas are on here. Uh, some of the holly species. So blue holly, English holly. Uh, we talked about Akistachis earlier being resistant. Mm-hmm. So the hummingbird mint. So there's quite a few of them on there and it lists shrubs and then it'll also have trees And then some other, like uh, some perennials and things. But the list is there that they can go through and it'll have low, medium to high uh, palatability to deer. Like the high palatability in the trees, they're listing the uh, crab apples, arborvitae, uh, cottonwoods, and aspens, some junipers, and then some pines. But this, there, take a look at it, and if you're doing a new landscape and have a yard prone to deer. I would look at this and try to find landscape plants that will work for you so that the deer are less attracted to feeding in your yard.
2: Yeah, I'm wondering how um, discriminatory the deer really are. Like if you plant just a ton of daffodils in a section, are they going to stay away from the whole flower bed? They will
1: because they're poisonous and the deer know to stay away from them. There are certain plants that they don't do as well with like the ewes that we talked about earlier, that every year we see wildlife killed. This year it's been worse. But daffodils and a number of these things, they'll just avoid.
2: It's so funny. At at the cemetery, I plant some flowers at Mount Olivet, and I've learned don't plant geraniums and petunias. They will just eat them. It's just like salad for them. So I plant zinnias, which for some reason... They don't like zinnias. Which uh, family are the zinnias in?
1: They're in the aster family, and so there's other asters that they do like. It must be just the huh, zinnias. They won't
2: eat the zinnias. Uh, geraniums, they just take the tops off, and you're just left with the greenery, and you're, you know that's not very satisfying, right? Um, so zinnias, the uh, annual verbena, they don't seem to touch, and they don't like irises.
1: Huh. So those are some things that if you want flowers, you can use. Now, I will say... That if you have a larger yard and you're on a bench and there's areas of the yard that you don't use as much, you might plant some mount mahogany or bitter brush. Those are two of the most important browse species for deer. And if you can get those established, they tolerate the deer browsing on them quite well. But they're native to our bench areas, the foothills. Mm-hmm. And if you have the bitter brush and mountain mahogany and maybe a few other native plants that they like, they may stay away from the plants in your yard because they're adapted to eating those.
2: Yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, well, they eat those and then just leave everything else alone. That might be a solution as well.
1: No, and it very well could be a solution to it, and it's something I've tried to encourage people to do because we are moving in on their habitat, and the reason they're in the cities is because it's where they've always gone, and we are here now, and so if you have opportunity, that is something to look into is planting a few things that, they, that are native that they really would eat, and it may help them out, and it may help keep them out of your yard.
2: Okay, and we're going to post that list on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. We're going to take your calls now. Number to call and the phone lines are open, 801-575-8255. You can text us, five seven five zero zero.
0: A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one.
2: Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you this morning. We're taking your calls at 801-575-8255. Great time to call. The phone lines are open right now. And you can also text us your questions at five seven uh, Let's see. We, next texter says, What do you think of the new grass that Salt Lake City is promoting for saving water? Uh, trading out your existing lawn. Have you seen exactly what they're promoting?
1: It's a mix. I can't remember all the exact grasses, Mm -hmm. but it requires 30% less water than traditional Kentucky bluegrass. Kelly Cope, who's been on the program several times, helped develop that mix with Salt Lake County. And I'm not sure if Jordan Valley was involved also, but it has several grasses and it looks and acts like Kentucky bluegrass. It just requires less water. And so Kelly puts time and work. She's a Ph.D. level turf specialist with also water conservation or in her area of responsibility. And she puts a lot of time and effort into making sure that these mixes work. Mm -hmm. And so she's done she vetted it before they put it out. And so far, people are really happy with it.
2: Yeah, it's good to know that somebody's done a lot of research on these things. you are just not taking somebody's word for it, right? Yeah,
1: and it just isn't, you know, we looked up three supposedly drought-tolerant grasses and lumped them together in the seed. It's that they did some research on it to make sure that they actually were drought-tolerant. Yeah,
2: important to know. Uh, Next person is Lauren in Leighton, and Lauren would like to know, uh, Lauren needs to overseed some bare spots in their lawn, and they want to know when is the best time to do that.
1: They could put the seed down as soon as the snow melts off and just let it germinate naturally. But generally late March into the first or second week of April is the best time to do it because we're usually still wet enough that they won't have to do a lot of supplemental irrigation for that grass to germinate.
2: Mm -hmm. This uh, reminds me, my neighbor um, came over and she has some poppy seeds that my mom had given her a long time ago. And she's obviously been planting these poppies for quite some time because she had a bunch more seeds and wanted to know if I wanted them. But she said, yeah, I was out throwing these seeds out in my yard um, and I thought maybe you would like some. And I'm like, you're putting seeds out in your yard now? Talk about that for a minute, Okay.
1: Well, a lot of our annuals that are especially that we would have grown in the Victorian area or before, you know, during world war two and different times were just hand seeded in the fall and the seeds are allowed to germinate in the spring on their own. And so the poppy seeds were probably corn poppy, which is a red poppy that you oftentimes see in rural areas along ditch banks. They're all over cash County. And, uh, the corn poppies will bloom from May into early July. They're they're actually the poppy that uh, when you read the poem, Flanders Fields, it's that poppy. Hmm. So corn poppy is one that cannot be transplanted from starts. And so you have to grow it from seed. And a traditional time to do that is just to broadcast the seed in the fall and let what germinates germinate. You do the same thing with California poppy. You know, they have to really be grown from seed. And there's a number of other species you can do that with. Cosmos, what are called species petunias, their seed will overwinter just fine. There's actually many things. And so I know that my grandma and a lot of people would grow species petunias, And in a flower bed and the petunias would just keep germinating every year and then they would go in and thin them and then they would dig out a number of plants and just move them around the yard. It's something we've gotten away from because modern flowers are more robust. They have bigger flowers they more bloom available more available but you know 50 or a hundred years ago it was really common to go out and collect the seeds from your marigolds let the petunias do their things and, and just let them germinate from seed in the spring
2: so but she was throwing them out now
1: yeah and that's fine that's
2: fine too because
1: they'll work their way through the snow and then get into the soil and germinate.
2: Okay. I'm just like, okay, there's something I can do right now. What is that? Thing?
1: Yeah. So the corn poppies, if you have corn poppies like moisture, but if you have areas that are a little dry on the drier side, then California poppies are wonderful. You know, they tolerate sandy soils and what they will do is send down a deep taproot and bloom from May, late May, June into late July And then they die, but they produce more seeds. And so they do need to be refreshed every three or four years. But California poppies, along with corn poppy, they grow in different habitats, but they both have to be seeded.
2: Right. I know my grandmother used to do something similar with her canterbury bells, which I've tried to keep alive. And, you know, you were talking about they would take some of the plants and they'd move them around so they weren't in one cluster. And then she would save the seeds and and throw them out. Um,
1: Yeah, those are a type of campanula that are another very traditional Victorian-era plant. That It's not that they've fallen into disfavor, but they're not planted as often. But they're another one that if you want to grow what grandma and grandpa or great-grandma and grandpa did, canterbury bells are another very important part of that mix.
2: Yeah, and they have some beautiful colors, too, like pinks and purples and some whites, and they're quite beautiful. Yeah,
1: they're quite beautiful. Another one that, the same lines would be sweet peas, the flowering sweet pea. You can put those seeds out and the seeds overwinter just fine. They germinate and then bloom until we start to get really hot. They kind of die out and their seeds will fall over the ground and they just come back the next year. Mm
2: -hmm. For those folks who are planting seeds indoors for flowers, isn't it time to be doing like petunias?
1: Petunias should have gone in in mid-January, okay. geraniums. Late, huh? It's still plenty of time. Well, I, when I say plenty of time, there's still time to do it. But petunias can take up to 12 weeks to really get established. Geraniums, if you're doing seed geraniums, need to be started very soon. If you're doing planter baskets and want them showy in May, you have to start those now. So I've been cleaning my office out. I bought a new... Uh, shelf that has four racks on it for growing plants, mm-hmm. and I've got my table too. Um, and so, I'm preparing the day lengths are going to really start increasing in mid to late February. And so, stuff I want ready sooner, I will be seeding within the next week. And so, I'm going to start a few tomatoes. We've talked about that, but uh, yeah, so if You have things that you're going to need to be bigger by May. Mid to late February is the time you want to start those.
2: All right. We're going to take a break. For the bottom of the hour news, number to call with your questions. Phone lines are open at 801-575-8255. You can text us five seven five zero zero.
0: It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison.
1: Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me.